Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. Eric Gottesman photographs, writes, makes videos, and teaches using art to explore aesthetic, social, and political culture. His work has taken him to countries including Ethiopia and Jordan, and to indigenous communities in Canada, with projects that have questioned nationhood and investigated local histories. With Four Freedoms, a platform for creative civic engagement, discourse, and direct action, founded in 2016 in collaboration with artist Hank Willis Thomas, Gottesman partners with institutions and communities all over the United States to facilitate meaningful political discourse and engage citizenship through art. Gottesman spoke about his use of art for community building at the John Wilmerding Symposium on American Art, American Communities Then and Now, held on February 8, 2019. I didn't study art. I studied history and politics and uh, didn't think I was going to be an artist. I um, actually came to Washington and worked in politics after college for a short time. But uh, like Devin, I couldn't stand working in an office and uh, was offered the opportunity to, to, to go out and photograph as part of a fellowship um, in, uh, of all places, Ethiopia, about which I knew very little. I was sent there for a year uh, to make a documentary project. So I knew little about photography. I knew little about Ethiopia, and I was there for a year to make a project. And that actually ended up becoming a 10-year um, sort of love affair with the country of Ethiopia, with uh, the people, with um, working there. I lived there for um, and, and, and made projects there for 10 years, uh, and I still continue to work there um, today. One of the very first photographs I made was, was this one. This is called Beletu. What I realized about photography, even though I knew very little about it, is that there were power relationships bound up in the photographic process. Uh, and when I, as a photographer, I, as somebody with a camera, um, was photographing somebody else, there's, it's a microcosm of, of all kinds of power relationships about colonialism, about race, about uh, gender, that are, um, that are bound up in that relationship. And so to mitigate that sort of um, the problematics of, of a kind of hierarchy of power within the photographic process, I started thinking about collaboration as a form of work. Um, and eventually my medium would become collaboration and I would collaborate with other artists on projects as well as with communities or people who didn't necessarily consider themselves artists. Um, which, and, and I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of some projects that I worked on in that vein and then talk mainly about a, a large project that I'm working on now with Hank Willis Thomas uh, called Four Freedoms. But at the beginning, when I, when I, was, um, when I was figuring out what to photograph uh, in Ethiopia, um, this was one of the first photographs I made. It was, uh, like I said, it was titled Beletu. That is not the name of this woman, but it is the name that she chose. Um, at the time, HIV-AIDS was highly stigmatized, and this, this woman was HIV-positive. And so uh, even though she was sort of not anonymous or, um, or untitled in the way that Robin Cost-Lewis mentioned this morning, she did choose to be disguised in the image. And because the, the disease was so highly stigmatized, this, uh, it, it, the only way I could make images of people with HIV at that moment, this is 20 years ago now in Ethiopia, 
was um, for them to have a hand in making the image. And so that negotiation between me and this woman and uh, about 35 other people who allowed me to photograph them over the course of five years of photographing, my first five years of photographing in Ethiopia, demanded that the subject of the photograph had a hand and in the making of it. And so collaboration became a necessity for me in order to make images. And the result was that I started thinking about how collaboration itself could be a medium. Like Devin uh, is doing now, I started using these Polaroid cameras. Um, I had studied briefly with, with Wendy Ewald, and she later became a, a mentor for me, somebody who kind of pioneered a, a way of working in participatory photography um, to shift ideas of authorship, who has the camera and who doesn't. And so what I was doing then was uh, working in this one community. I ended up working in this one neighborhood in Ethiopia for a course of 10 years, um, teaching photography to a small group of people. And we made photographs uh, about that neighborhood um, and about life in that neighborhood and uh, health and, and education and disease um, and poverty uh, as described by people who were, um, who were encountering uh, these things within their neighborhood. Um, and the photographs were different than the kinds of photographs I had seen made by uh, other people that maybe looked like me who had come to Ethiopia to make photographs for photojournalistic reasons or as documentary projects. The photographs became much more intimate. This is a photograph by Tenanesh Kifyalo um, entitled If I Had a Home. Uh, and uh, this is somebody, she was also born with HIV and uh, died at age 13, but when she was 11 and 12, we worked together, and she made a series of photographs that were sort of intimate visions of her own life, um, basically in her one-room home. These photographs were then exhibited uh, around the community, and for the first eight years of the, of the project, only exhibited within Ethiopia, traveling around the neighborhood, traveling around the country, and much later, they would be made into a, a book um, where, we f where we were trying to um, expand the number of people that understood what life in this one neighborhood was like. Um, people from the community designed and traveled around with this exhibition and sort of used it as an educational tool around the country. And so this notion of collaboration, I, I'm not gonna go too deeply into any of these projects, but I just wanted to mention that this was something, thinking about how other people could insert their voices into the photographic process other than the photographer was a way for me to understand how to deal with the history of documentary photography. Um, this is a project that Wendy and I did with some photographs that she made in 1969 up in Labrador, Canada, where we brought them back to the indigenous reserve where she made them and worked with people to update the, the sort of public image of, of the community um, from that previous time. I also worked in uh, post-conflict Lebanon in 2006 and 2007, working with people to create these sort of anti-monuments. The, the town was reduced to rubble and we were making these photographs and placing them in the landscape um, in a very ephemeral sort of way where they just existed in that place for as long as they existed. Um, but it, it was a way to kind of repopulate the rubble of war with, with people's individual memories. So a lot of these projects ended up taking me to different communities um, around the world uh, and working for intensely and deeply in these places 
uh, not that many places, like three or four places over the course of 20 years. And so when I started working on this project for Freedoms, which I started with, um, with Hank in uh, 2015, we had a very different kind of mandate. We were thinking not about how can we go deep in one place, but how can we use the power of art as a binding force to, uh, to make public conversation more robust. We saw art as inherently political. It was a practice of politics. Uh, and so we wanted to expand the scale of, of how art could, um, could affect public discourse and affect public policy. So the first thing we did was to make a super PAC, and, and I didn't know what a super PAC did at the time, um, but we later found out that super PACs are basically political advertising firms. Uh, and we put up a, a small series of billboards, about 10 billboards across the country in the lead up to the 2016 election. Um, this was one of them that we put up in Pearl, Mississippi. And uh, at first, nobody really noticed it, and then the election happened, and then um, two weeks after the election, every media outlet picked it up. And what I, what I love about the way CNN reported on this is that they reported Mississippi residents unsure of controversial billboards intent. <laughs> I mean, CNN is not used to reporting on uncertainties. They're, you know, screaming graphics and, you know, like loud headlines. This was reporting on the possibility of nuance and, and uncertainty. And we were trying to sow that by, by inserting these artist messages out into the landscape. So we expanded that. And we thought that, we asked the question, what would it look like if we did that across the country? And not only put these signs out across the country, but also um, create partnerships with arts institutions across the country to create dialogue about what these signs mean in the landscape. So we did, uh, we designed a series of town hall meetings and um, exhibitions in 2018, last year, uh, in what we called the, the 50 State Initiative. The 50 State Initiative ended up having arts institutions and partners. We had 250 institutional partners in all 50 states, as well as in the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. Uh, we had millions of views of the billboards and on social media. Uh, there were over 100 exhibitions, 120 town hall meetings held by artists and institutions. There, there were about 800 artists that were involved in this large scale national effort. Um, some of these billboards that went up, they confused people. This was a, an, a billboard in Lansing, Michigan by the artist Jamila El-Sahili. And the word means human being in Arabic. But when, they, when people saw this, the billboard company got all kinds of phone calls asking, what on earth, you know, what's happening here? Is this ISIS? Come to find out that the message was sort of revealing some of the biases uh, that people had. This image by um, Sean Leonardo uh, went up in Florida and created another kind of conversation, which was, um, this says Trayvon Martin would have been 23, year old, 23 years old, could have voted. Uh, people started saying, you know, well, what does it matter whether he could have voted? He, he was a human being, you know, and that, that conversation started taking place and the Trayvon Martin Foundation, created by his family, jumped into the conversation and said, this is, this is something that we want um, to create a conversation about, about getting people, you know, engaged in the, in the uh, political process. So, um, you know, these public conversations ended up sort of taking their own, um, 
their own course in ways that we could no longer control. So we, we ended up sort of decentralizing a lot of this stuff and a lot of the arts institutions that we partnered with, we had very little interplay with, but rather uh, people were doing different things in different parts of the country uh, that, that connected to each other and we just became the connective tissue to, toward these different nodes. We started imagining a creative in infrastructure in the United States that might shift the way in which public discourse happens. Um, this is an, a flag by Dred Scott that was placed outside a gallery in Chelsea uh, as part of one of our exhibitions. That ended up being reported on and, um, and then collected in different institutions. Another part of the, um, and I'll just finish up with this, another big part of the campaign was that uh, we were thinking also of the 1940s uh, and the way in which art was sort of an instrument of politics at that time and used as, um, as propaganda, right? We saw that this morning, um, thinking about the, the FSA and how that sort of transformed in the Office of War Information, and even how Gordon Parks was working with Standard Oil. There was kind of a mode of image making that was related to the creation of propaganda. In 1941, Franklin Delano Roosevelt spoke the four freedoms, the freedom of speech, free, freedom of uh, worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear in a State of the Union speech intended to in, encourage the United States to enter um, the war, to create support for entering World War II. Two years later, Norman Rockwell painted these four freedoms, which became iconic images of what it meant to be American, but it was mainly just white people, uh, which you know may have reflected Rockwell's or the Times' uh, vision of what it meant to be American. There was one African-American woman in the top left of the freedom of worship picture. Last year, we made new updated images of the Four Freedoms pictures um, to point to the fact that these iconic images of what it meant to be American were, uh, in fact, another kind of propaganda. They were not only, they were turned into war bonds posters to raise money for the war at that time, but they were also um, promoting a vision of uh, what it meant to be American and, and of citizenship that was clearly outdated and, and not inclusive at the time. Uh, and certainly not now. So these images ended up being, um, we, we made not only four images, we made 80 images with different characters, different people. In fact, Devin's the star of one of, uh, one of these photographs, one of the freedom of speech photographs. Um, and different activists, artists, and, um, and cultural workers sort of participated in the creation of these images and in their distribution through billboards uh, on the cover of Time magazine and in different places around the country. And we were really just trying to point to, the, to something, you know, that Gordon Parks um, practiced, which was uh, shifting who was in the picture and shifting how that changed the way in which we perceive these iconic images. Um, and I'll just end on this. We, we, are, we have an exhibition up that opened last night. I came down very late uh, after the, the opening last night at the International Center of Photography in New York that's kind of a recap of, of our 50-state initiative. And in it is a large billboard with an image um, by Gordon Parks, granted to us by the Gordon Parks Foundation. Um, and the title of the exhibition is Where Do We Go From Here? Uh, which is also the title of Martin Luther King's last speech and, and, uh, and book. And that is where we are thinking now ahead to 2020. What do we do with this national network of artists and creative people that we've created 
uh, moving forward? How do we in further engage the creative community and think about creativity as an essential American value? So thank you very much. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.